poll for the relevance of our message today. How many of you have difficult people in your lives? All right. How many of you, is that the person sitting next to you? No, put your hands down. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, well, just, just, a little, uh, just a little aside, I was going to preach this sermon whether nobody raised their hands or not. So we've been in this series on relationships, and, and I don't know if we can really talk about what the Bible has to teach us about relationships without talking about what does the Bible tell us about how to handle difficult relationships. Now, there certainly is some uniqueness to every single one of those, right? So what I'm going to say this morning is not actually going to give you the specific counsel that you need for every single one of those, but there, there, there are some great truths for us to tuck away today that, that God can use to transform the way we connect with people, even in the midst of difficult relationships. But I thought we'd start with just a little trip down memory lane in the sense of just allow us to engage with just a little bit of a pity party, right? You know, in terms of we think about some of the, the difficult people that have come into our lives, right? I was given that a little thought this week. And, you know, one of the types of difficult people that I've had in my life are, are people that I, I call them the highway people. These are the people who's like, it's my way or the highway. Ever had any of those kinds of people in your life that no matter what, they wanted it to be their way. There's no give and take or whatever. It's just And then with those are the people that I call the flood, right? These are the people that as soon as they show up, they start talking. And then they never stop talking until they leave. They, never, they don't ask you what you think. They don't want to know what you know. They, don't wanna have, they, just, they just talk. It's just the flood. And, and those people get become difficult because they become annoying, right? You know, that kind of idea. And some of you have had some of those in, in your life. Another type, and I've experienced this several times in, in very, very difficult ways. These were, these were not easy relationships to navigate, but I, I call these people the interpreters, right? And what I mean by that, these are the people who have the ability to interpret everything you say in a negative way. You, you ever had any of those people in your life? I mean, you could say to them, say, man, you look really nice today. And they're like, what, you know, I look crappy the rest of the time? You know, that's, you know and, 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 you know, like, hey, it looks like you lost a little weight. What, you're saying I used to be fat? You know, I mean, they could just always take whatever you say and twist it into a negative way. Some of us work with people like that. We, we have people in our relationships with that. We have people in our family networks like that. You know, um, another one is what, what I call the, the, the negative Nellies, right? These are the people who can see the downside of everything. Right, and the reason I use that terminology because sometimes when I used to complain when I was a kid, my mother would say to me, "Stop being such a negative Nelly." Right? I could have used Debbie Downer or Donnie Downer, but that old phrase of my mom's just kind of hung in there with me. It's like, "Stop being such a negative Nelly." Right? Just kind of playing off of the name Neil, you know. But these are the kind of people. That, give you an example of this, right? This is the kind of person you could call them. See, you know. The, like somebody who's just won the lottery. They won, won, won like $10 million, right? And you call them up to congratulate, hey, man, that's so great. And they're saying, just think of all the taxes I'm going to have to pay. You know, I mean, it, 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 we, we, some of us have those kinds of people in our lives, right? And then others of us, we have what we call the know-it-alls, right? These are the people who, who they just know everything better than you, right? You know, I've encountered a couple of these in my journey. Like you come across people who have who have never, ever spoken in public before, like up on a platform. But they would have 19 ways that I could be a better preacher. You know, even though they had never done one thing. So they, they, got all, they just always know some way to do it better than the way you're doing it, right? And it just kind of goes on and on. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to depress us, right? 
But I think there's ways that we can identify when we have those moments when there are people hanging around us are the people who are, who are the negative people in our lives. And for instance, let me give you just, just a few, say, all right, how do I tell if this person is difficult or not? Well, here's one. And when I call, I call this experience the sinker, right? When, when your phone rings and you pick up the phone and you look at the caller ID and your heart sinks, that's a difficult person. And you know what I'm talking about, right? You're very tempted to block them, but you're saying, I'm related to them. I can't do that. You know, and, and or, or you pull up your email and you see an email from them and your heart just sinks. You know, or you just break out in a cold sweat. You're probably dealing with a difficult person, right? You know, um, another one is uh, that this, I, I call these people the, 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 well, I'm going to use the terminology in this one. These, these are the people that, that, that help you overcome insomnia, right? And, and, and the reason why is that because whenever you're with you, whenever you're with them, they suck the energy out of you, right? And when they leave, you are just totally exhausted and you can sleep, right? I mean, you just, you just nap through everything. It's like, I, I got to have a nap, right? And, and, and we have some of those people in our lives that whenever we're around them or whatever, whether it's, and it's tough when they're at work, right? You, come, you leave work every single day. You're just totally exhausted, you know, because you're around people who are just sucking all the energy out of you. You know, um, the, I think there's a way, too, where, where when, when, we're, when we're around people and the conversation is never easy. In other words, it's, it's just always awkward. Even if you're just talking about whether you like blue jello or not, right? You know, if, you just, if it's just hard to have a conversation, you're probably dealing with somebody who's difficult. Right, if you're just never at ease, you're always watching what you're saying. Or it, with the same kind of idea is if you know you need to talk to this person, you need to talk to them about something, and you stay up all night thinking through the conversation in advance, you're probably dealing with somebody who's difficult, right? Some of us have had those experiences, right? And, um, or the people who, who, who I call the, these are the avoider people, right? These are the people that... When we see them in the grocery store, we head down a different aisle, right? You know, it's like, I've already been down that aisle three times, but I'm going down again, right? Or if you're, you're out on a, on a run or a walk and you're coming home and you're totally exhausted, you're about ready to collapse, but you see them out in their yard, you take the long way around, even though you're, you're not sure you're going to make it, right? And some of us have those kinds of people, you know? You, you, you see them walking down the street and you duck in the front window because you don't want them to know you're home. And, and we, some of us have those people in our lives. But my favorite one, th- these are the... These are the people that induce you to want to eat comfort food, right? <laughs> that, that, you know, it's just like whenever you're with them and then they leave, it's like, man, I got to have a bowl of ice cream. You know, it's just, or, or like, where did I hide those Doritos from my wife, you know, so I can get them. And, and we have those kinds of people. But, and, and I think it is important to recognize those people in our lives. Uh, a little bit funny, but it's, it's important, I think, for us to know when we are in the presence of people who challenge us relationally and people that are difficult for us to relate to. It could be just the nature of our relationship or it could be who they are. It could be who we are. But I, I, I think it's important for us to recognize those things and the way we react to it. But, but here's a word that I want to share with you today. Um, well, I think, well, all right, 
maybe he's going to tell us how do we eliminate those people from our life, my life. And, and I'm going to have to tell you that I think God has put those people in your life for a reason. And you think, oh, I'm ready to go home now. Right? You know, that's it. I had it up. But I, I think there's several different reasons why that's true. You know, first of all, I, I think you can make a case biblically, and I'm not going to really back this up much this morning in, in what we're going to look at, but I think you can make a case biblically that how you treat the difficult people in your life is the best window that you have into where your heart really is at. If you, if you can treat the people in your life that drain you, wear you out, tear you down, those guys, if you can treat them with the love of Christ, it tells you a lot about where your heart is. And if you can't, it tells you about where a lot of where your heart is. The, the second truth, the reason I think that God brings these people into our lives is that for, for many of us, these are the kinds of people that challenge us to grow spiritually. I mean, we're going to read a text in just a minute, and, you know, it's easy to be nice to people that are nice to us, right? It's harder for us to be nice to people who aren't nice to us. It's harder for us to be caring towards people that it's hard for us to care about, right? It's just difficult for us, and it's in those moments that we face this wonderful challenge to actually grow spiritually. Here's the third reason I'm going to give you why I think God brings these people into our lives on a regular basis is that is in the context of these relationships that we get to show the glory of God in us. It, it, one of the ways that we as the children of God stand out most different from the world is by the way we treat those who are difficult for us to relate to. And, and we're going to see all of that in this text this morning. I'd love for you to grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me. Matthew chapter 5. If you're watching online, you're just going to have to swipe along on your phone, which may be hard if you're watching it on your phone. But for those of you who are here and using one of our, our Bibles that's underneath your chair, you're going to find our text today on page 817. And we're just going to plop into Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. But let me give it a little context. Jesus is in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. You're going to notice, for those of you who have red-letter editions, and those are Bibles that put all the words of Christ in red, you're going to notice there's a lot of red going on in these chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus is offering what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And he's just got done saying a little earlier in, in, the, in, the, in the chapter 5, he says, you know what, there is not one jot, there is not one, one even slightest mark in the law that's going to pass away until all is fulfilled. And you should not have as an opinion that I've come to just abandon the Old Testament law I haven't come, I haven't come to, 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 to uh, throw it away. I've come to fulfill it, right? And so based upon that statement, he begins to launch into, as we see in verse 20 of chapter 5, he begins to tell them, if you are going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to have a righteousness that exceeds, that's greater than that of the Pharisees. And they were the religious zealots of the day. These are the people who went to church every single day, right? They memorized scripture. They don't, these were the guys who were at the top of the spiritual food chain. And Jesus said, if you want to get into heaven, if you want to enter into the kingdom, you have to have a righteousness that exceeds theirs. And he begins to unpack some of the great truths that they had always built their lives on. 
And he does, does so such in a way that, in my opinion, what he show, is showing is, this is why you need a Savior. You can never do this on your own. This is why you need a Savior. And we're going to look at the last two of these that Jesus unveils to us about this greater sense of righteousness. And we pick up in verse 38. What I want to do is, is read through the text, come back, offer some explanatory comments so that we kind of know what it says, and then I want to make some application for us. So Jesus picks up in chapter 38, verse 38 of chapter 5, says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat too, right? And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away, don't avoid, (laughs) right? The one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your enemies. I'm going to love your neighbors. And hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. You see, because God causes His Son to rise on the evil, as well as the good. And He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will we have? What, What difference is that? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing that's out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles, those that we say don't even know God, they don't have any uh, instinct for God, don't they do the same thing? Therefore, and I think this last phrase relates to all that Jesus has been teaching since verse 20, he says, be perfect, therefore. Be mature, be complete, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So back up with me, if you would, to verse 38. Now, we look at this verse 38, and we look at it and say, that seems pretty harsh, right? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? Kind of thing. And it it seems to mandate retribution. You hurt me, I got to hurt you. Just the way it is. I mean, it's in the Bible, right? You know, and, 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 and we could, but that's not the spirit that this teaching from the Old Testament was given in. There, there was a, a time in the life of the Israelites, in the life of humanity, where, where retribution was off the charts. So you, you accidentally kill a sheep that belonged to somebody else, they'd wipe out your entire herd. You, you, not, you, you, know, you accidentally knock out the tooth of my kid, I'm going to take your kid's head off. And that's the way things were going. And God said, no, 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 no. I want you to have, I want you to have mercy in your relationship. So I said, you know what? The, crime, the punishment has got to fit the crime. Right? If, if, if they happen to, 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 to kill one of your sheep, you get one back. You know? And, and, and so the, the, the retribution, if you will, needed to correspond with the crime that had happened. So Jesus was trying to, God was trying to limit 
retribution. Jesus says, well, let's, let's take that now and run it through the filter of who you're really supposed to be as the children of God. He says, you know what? When somebody evil tries to oppress you, he said, don't resist them. That's what it says in verse 39. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. Now, I don't think that means we're not supposed to stand for truth. I don't think that means that we're not supposed to have any convictions. I don't think that it actually means that we're not supposed to, if you will, stand up for ourselves. I think what it means is that you and I should not be using the same tactics that the world uses. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. It says, instead, what I tell you to do is somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him. Now, this is not, I don't think this passage is talking about the right to defend ourselves. I don't think this is a, a, a place where you go and make an argument for, for being a pacifist. I think what Jesus is talking about here is in interpersonal relationships. And to, and to slap somebody on the cheek was to insult them. And Jesus says, you know what? When somebody insults you, don't insult them back. Just, just turn the other cheek, let them say, do the other. If they want to keep hurling stuff at you, just let it come. Don't respond in kind. He moves on. He says, if the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, so let him take your cloak as well, and your, your coat as well. And, and there's, a, there's a little bit of a backstory that a lot of us don't get. I mean, in, in Jewish law, you were not legally allowed to take somebody's coat or their tunic overnight because it was also their blanket. And so if you took... If you took their tunic from them because they hadn't repaid you something that they owed you, you had to give it back to them at sunset. So here Jesus is saying, you know, if somebody sues you and they say, all right, you know, I, I, forget the tunic because i got to give that back to you. What I want is your, I want your cloak. I want the inside thing, right? I want your shirt. And, and then, you know, and, the, it, and Jesus says, you know what? I want you, if that's happening and you owe them, to, you know what? Give up, give up that which you are not expected or legally required to give up. Go ahead and give him your coat as well. And then he picks up a little bit more, this idea of going the second mile. You know, it's a great phrase, right? It's one of the best-known scriptures, right? You know, going the second mile. Theme, title to our message this morning, going the second mile in our relationships. But this was actually a legal requirement in the Roman Empire. It was based on that. See, the Romans controlled literally most of the known world, from Italy all the way through to the other side of, 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 is, of Israel. And so one of their requirements was that if a Roman soldier in an occupied territory looked at a citizen who belonged to that nation and said, pick up my stuff and carry it with me, they were legally obligated to carry their stuff for a mile. You can imagine you had Roman troops marching all over the ancient world, right? It's a long way to go carrying all your stuff. So they passed this law that no matter where you were, you could be out in the middle between cities and you could be going west and this guy could be going east and you'd say, hey, you, pick up my bag and carry it for me. And they legally had to require, carry it for one mile. And Jesus is saying, when you get to that one mile marker, he says, no, 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 I can go another mile. Just a good stretch of the legs, Right? In case any of you were John Wayne fans and know The Quiet Man, that was one of the phrases. It's just a good stretch of the legs, right? Anybody know that? Am I that old? Am I the only one who knows that? All right, we got a couple of people. You know, and, and go in the second mile. And then he says in verse 42, he says, you know, give to the one who asks from you. Now, and the one who wants to borrow, loan it to him. Now, I don't think that Jesus is telling us that we need to be unwise in the stewardship of our resources. 
But what he is saying is that just because a person in need is in need is not a reason for us to be backing away. If we have the ability to help and we can be a part of the solution, we should be engaging, not disengaging. So if, if somebody is in need and you can help s- solve that problem, you can be a part of the solution, you can bring healing and stability, whatever, so you should be moving and you should be giving and offering and serving and connecting. Pretty heavy stuff. We're going to come back to it just a, in just a moment. Then he goes on to the next phrase, the next thing. So, well, you know, you've heard it say, love your neighbor. And... And this is not in the Old Testament, but the rabbis added on to it, said, and hate your enemies, right? If, if you're loving your neighbor and you're hating your enemies, you're hating the people that God hates, the people that you think God wants to judge, then you're doing great. And Jesus told a pretty bold story, didn't he, in the story of the Good Samaritan? To kind of put the, put the kibosh on that, right? You know, Jesus is saying, it's not about, it's not about um, uh, you know, loving, loving your neighbor, and in hating your enemies, first of all, you need to expand your definition of who your neighbor is. And then on top of that, he says, I'm telling you that you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I'm not sure any of us have specific enemies, right? You know, it's not like we have anybody who is who's hired a hitman to take us out, right? At least I don't think I have anybody who's quite done that. I don't, you know, might have to check with my wife when I get home and look through her quiet paper. I'm just kidding. You know, most of us don't have that level of intensity of conflict. But that doesn't mean we don't have people in our lives who they can really care what happens to us. They don't care if we do well, if we don't do well. They don't care about our feelings or emotions. A lot of us have those kinds of people. And there are some people who are out there who are mad enough at us they think for some reason or another we've done something to hurt them, that they actually have it as a part of their agenda to take us down a few notches, to persecute us, right? And that happens individually and it's happening in some ways collectively for the church. But Jesus says, you know what? I'm telling you that you need to love your enemies, those who aren't looking, those who are at peace with hurting you and those who want to hurt you, the persecutors, he says, I want you to love them and pray for them because that's the way that you get to be the sons of God. That's when you have that moment where you can show, I, I'm connected to the Father. It's who I am. We just sang about, right? You know, and, 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 and so, and he goes on, he says, so, and he said, let's, let's give you a couple of reasons for that. One is, think about how God operates, Right? It's not like God, when he sends rain through my neighborhood on Beeman Road here in Sterling, it doesn't like it just rains in my, uh, on, on my yard, and then everybody else who doesn't go to church, right, their yard just turns into a desert. It doesn't work that way, right? I mean, it rains on my yard, and it rains on everybody else's yard, and it fills my street, and it pours into my side yard and washes away my driveway, which has been happening this summer. So that's a little self-release there. Oh, I feel better. And, um, but... The DPW came out and fixed it. Good guys here in town, so shout out to them. And you know, or or it's it's not like God when He sends up the the sun, right? The sun rises. It's not like He put cloud over everybody else's and the sun just shines down in my yard. God sends the rain and the sun. He makes the crop grow for the righteous and the unrighteous. That's the way God acts. God's not loving. You know, his neighbor and hating his enemies, God is 
providing for all equally across the board. And he said on top of that, if, if you don't act any differently than that, then, then you, you know, if, if you're not gracious to those who are your enemies, if you're not praying for those who are persecuting you, how, how are you any different than the people that you're always complaining about, the sinners, the tax collectors? You know, he says, if you're only nice to the people who are in your network, you're no different than a street gang. I mean, if we as the church aren't loving people who are outside of the church and caring for their needs, I mean, we're really no different than a street gang because a street gang takes care of their own, right? I got your back kind of mentality. And he says, you know, if you, if you want to be different than a street gang, you've got to love the people who don't love you. And you've got to pray for your enemies and those kinds of things. And then he brings on the challenge at the end. And all of this is about being like your father. So be perfect. And I, and I don't think that means that we, that we have to be, you know, we're working towards holiness, but it really means that be mature, be complete, be, be up to the challenge of not doing an eye for an eye and of loving your enemies and praying for, be up to that, be complete, be mature, be sufficient in all of that as your heavenly father is. Now, when I, when I look through all of that and I go back and look at, you know, the idea of how is it that we as the children of God, and we sing about saying that's who I am, that's who I am, how do we reflect that to the world? How do we show who God is? And Jesus says that's because it's how you treat difficult people. The one who wants to sue you, take from you, do evil to you, the one who, who, who doesn't care about your welfare or really wants to hurt your welfare. It's how you treat them is going to show that you are the sons and daughters of God. And, it, and, it, and it, I don't know about you, but this is not something I can do on my own. So this is one of those things that forces me to grow spiritually, to say, you know what, I, I'm not quite perfect like God is yet. I, I got some room for progress here. And it forces me to grow spiritually. And when I look into my heart and say, you know, how I'm dealing with the difficult people that might come into my journey, it is, a, it is a tremendous reflection to me. It's a great indicator to me about how am I doing spiritually. So I, I want to take a moment and just, I want to summarize this all up into one point, and then I want to break it apart just a little bit. Because, you know, my philosophy as we go into the Word of God is that we want to know what it says that's why we spent the time working through these 10 verses. But then we also want to, we want to understand this. Well, what does it mean? What's the so what to us? How is it that you and I are supposed to go out and live tomorrow based upon what God has taught us today? And, and, and this may be somewhat simple, but I think it is incredibly profound and challenging. But here, God wants the default mode. The instinctive way that we relate to others, the mode that is so hard for us to get out of, God wants our, our instinctive default mode of our relationships to be one of mercy. To be one of mercy. A lot of times we want it to be about justice or fairness or equality or whatever. God wants our relationships to be built on mercy. We, God wants the way we relate to the difficult people in our lives as well as the people who are tremendous blessings in our lives. He wants it to be built on mercy. 
for instinctively to us to be people who are gracious towards others. People who let love cover a multitude of sins, who do not notice that they are wrong. And I'm pulling in all kinds of scriptures, you know, from 1 Corinthians 13 and other places where God wants our relationships to be, to, to be naturally based on mercy. Because it's only when they're based on mercy that we can really reflect the nature of God. And just a couple of, of, of pieces that go with that. One of the reasons why I, I see that is that Jesus challenges us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. He challenges us to say, hey, you want me to go one mile? I'll go two miles and to be glad about it, right? He calls us, he challenges us to be people who, are, who relate to others through mercy, through grace. And, and here's why. It's because he wants his people that's me, that's you. He wants us to be the ones who break the cycle of evil action and evil reaction. I mean, that's what happens in the world, right? Evil action, evil reaction. You insult me, I insult you back. What does Jesus say in verse 39? But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. They push. Our tendency is, well, I want to push back. Jesus said, that's not what I'm looking for. I want my people to be the ones who break that cycle of action-reaction in the realm of evil. That's what, he called, that's what he did, right? You get down to the end of his life journey and there's stuff going on. He could have called down the angels. Jesus put it, he, he didn't respond. And, and he wants us as God's people to be the peacemakers, the ones who break that cycle of action and reaction. And, and the only way that we're going to do that is if we are people who relate to others instinctively and naturally. Our default mode of the way we perceive reality is based on mercy, based on grace. There's a second truth that really stands out to me as I, as I think about all of this. Is that one of the reasons why God wants mercy this graciousness to be the environment that all of our relationships take root in is because God is far more concerned about redemption than he is about our rights. I'm not saying that God has an agenda for life to be unfair for us. That's not what I'm saying. But God is far more interested in people getting redeemed than he is whether or not we got what we were supposed to have. And, and that's where you get the whole thing of turning the other cheek and giving up your cloak to go, your coat to go along with your shirt and, and go in the second mile. It says, it's not about what my rights are, and you can't make me do that, this and that. And so what's fair, it's about what's going to be redemptive. And mercy is always at the core of what it is to be redemptive. I, I maybe another way to say the same thing is it, it's God, God always starts with relationship. Not, not, you know, results, if you will. Not, well, this is the best way. It's about relationship. How do we build a stronger relationship? Let me give you an example. I came across this story this week, and I just found it incredibly profound and, and illustrative for me as I was thinking about these principles. And the story comes out of mainland China, not a little ways after the, the communist revolution in the last century. And 
And there was a Christian farmer who had, he owned a, a rice paddy field. And his field was just above the rice paddy field of a member of the Communist Party. Somebody who had some clout with the government, right? And, and so every single morning he would get up and, 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 and the way that he flooded his rice paddy every day was that there, he had, a, he had a, a, a hose, a pipe that went into the river and he would sit down and he would use a foot pump and he would just pedal for hours, just processing the water up into his own rice paddy field. And it would take him hours in the morning to do this. Inevitably, every single day, after he got his field full, the member of the Communist Party, his neighbor, would come out and he would pull the boards out of the sluiceway between his rice paddy and that of his neighbor, and all the water would run downhill and flood his paddy and leave the Christian's rice paddy dry. And, 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 and the Christian was just really beside himself. He's like, what, you know, what am I going to do? He said, it, it, you know, it, it, this is going to ruin my harvest. I'm going to have nothing for my family. We are going to starve. What am I going to do? And this went on for day after day after day. And then at, at a certain point, a critical moment, he, the, 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 the Christian farmer just had this, this idea. that God just woke him up in the middle of the night and said, that's what I'm going to do. So he got up the next morning, and he went to his foot pump. He sat down and began to pump. And he pedaled and he pedaled and he pedaled. And he filled the rice paddy of his communist, communist neighbor's rice paddy. Then he put the boards in the sluiceway, and then he pumped the water. Then he spent all the rest of his time pumping water into his own rice paddy. And he did that day after day after day. And, and the, 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 his neighbor was so overwhelmed that over a period of time, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, that isn't a guaranteed outcome for every single redemptive relationship that we have in our lives. But, but it, it, just, it, it, just, it just models what God's asking us to do, right? And, 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 and you and I, it's this incredible experience where you and I, it, it's not about, you know, is this fair and am I getting justice and, you know, my rights and that kind of stuff. It's whether or not you and I get to be this conduit where God does something through us that the world just doesn't even understand and somebody opens up their life to eternity forever. See, God puts difficult people in our lives to teach us a lot of things. And it shows to the world as we react to people who are difficult who God is and how God acts redemptively. Now, I'm, I'm very conscious of the fact that some of the people in this room have difficult people in their lives who bring tremendous pain to us, right? This isn't just, uh, you know, this isn't just an employee at work who just, who, you know, takes your last half sandwich when you're not looking, right? You know, out of the, you know a little minor stuff. So, some of you have people who have brought tremendous pain into your life, and you have continuing, ongoing exposure to them, and you're like, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. It hurts so bad. And, and, and I'm not sure I have the the solutions and how you navigate all those different relationships. But I, I got to tell you, I, I just felt this, this compulsion of God to offer a word of hope and promise if you're in that moment. 
where you've got somebody, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's a relative, maybe it's a, maybe even a sibling, maybe it's a, I had somebody tell me that this morning as they were leaving, and just very difficult relationship with a sibling, and et cetera. And, and I, I believe, and somebody's saying, I just do not have the energy, nor the heart, or the interest in turning the other cheek. So I, I, I have gone the second, third, and fourth mile, and I ain't going there again, right? Some of you just, you just, you're just in that place, right? And, and there's just some words I think that God wants to share with us, and, and these are just a few verses that that I'm just going to kind of share share out loud. And one of those is is from Philippians chapter four, verse thirteen. When you're in that moment, God says, to, He says, "You know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." And, and you may be saying, I don't want him to do that. I don't want him to strengthen me to do that. But I got to tell you, you can do this because you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Here's another promise that really stood out to me. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, some of us know that story. Paul had this thorn in the flesh. He seemed like it was limited in his ministry ability and et cetera. And he, was just, he sought the God. He set aside time for long-term concerted prayer for, on three different occasions for God to remove it. And God's response to him is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And one of the words I would say to you is if you're in one of those moments where you're saying, I, I just cannot. That's weakness. And God says, my power can be perfected in that. And God's grace is sufficient for you. And just a great word of promise. And, and this comes from the book of First Peter. And if you'd like these references, you can email me or see me in the lobby or whatever. So Philippians 4.13, 2 Corinthians 12.9 that we've done so far. And now the all-elusive 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. This is a church that probably was experiencing more hardship than any church in the apostolic era. And Peter wrote to them, he says, Now the God of all grace, who called you to eternal glory in Christ, Jesus, will personally, the same God who called you to eternal glory in Christ Jesus, the one who's full of grace, he will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered for a little while. You may do everything that God would ask you to do in dealing gracefully, mercifully with a difficult person in your life, and nothing may come of it. And what God says that after you have suffered, don't you ever doubt the fact that I'm going to restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. I'm not going to give that to a surrogate to do. It's not going to be. It's going to be me personally. I'm going to do that. It's going to personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little bit. At the end of the day, I don't know what you take away, but when I think about being merciful in all the different relationships that God's called me into, to be gracious to difficult people, the only way that's going to happen is if I look up instead of looking around. If I'm looking around and say, hey, they don't deserve it, they don't deserve it, they don't deserve it. But if I'm looking up and doing it in relationship with the Father, all things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray together for just a moment.
take just a moment and think about that difficult person in your life. I know that may be depressing, but just take a moment and think about that difficult person in your life. Father, to many of us, that hill, that might look like a hill we could never climb and being able to treat them with grace and mercy. But God, I pray, I'm grateful that you climbed a hill that you could pour your grace and mercy into us through Christ. And Father, in these moments, we, we rely on you that we truly might be the light of the world we might show that we are the sons of God by the way we treat those who are difficult in our lives. As we receive your grace, make us vehicles of your grace. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Every Sunday, we conclude our services with a chance